Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing. I'm your host, Dawn Damari. Hey, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to another episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. Today, I have a guest with me, Dr. David Wiss. Hi, David. Hi there. Let's do some healing work. Yeah, that would be great. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. And would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your education background and some of the work you do? Absolutely. So I'm here in Los Angeles, West LA to be exact. I am a registered dietitian and I've been in private practice for 11 years. So I have um, spent over 10,000 hours counseling people with food and body issues. So I have a lot of deep insight that comes from my clinical work. I'm also a mental health scientist. So I have a PhD in public health, did a minor in health psychology, and I've done mental health research, mostly at the intersection of nutrition and mental health. So eating disorders, food addiction, um, depression. And it's really exciting because the nutrition for mental health conversation is pretty new. And I get to be a part of it. That's great. I'm really excited about that. I have an interest in it as well. And I'm, mine, I'm just starting out. I'm a, I'm a dietitian as well. But as far as the intersection with mental health, I, th I think it's really amazing. And I really think it'll go places. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Right on. Thank you for having me. So as a nutrition professional, when did you first become interested in the link between food and mental health? Great question. I would say that um, it happened before I was a nutrition professional and it drove me to wanting to be a nutrition professional. I definitely have one of those stories where I you know, took an interest in my wellness at age 24, had rapid changes in my um, energy, uh, not just my energy levels, but the energy that I gave off to the world. People noticed that I was um, interfacing with them differently and made comments to me. They're like, wow, you're very, very different. Um, I was, you know, getting sunlight and eating food and drinking water. And I, I did, I had a rapid transformation in my mental health and I knew that there was something there. Um, when I got interested in nutrition, you know, I, I before being a dietitian, I was a personal trainer and, you know, getting into that space, it's like the, the model was just like vanity focused. And that was, it seemed to be all there was, right? Like you, you, if you're into nutrition and exercise, your goals are going to be manipulating your body mass index and your percent body fat. Like those are the measurable outcomes. And if I'm honest, like, yeah, that's how I came into the space. And then once I was there a little bit, I was like, nah, that's, there's more to it than that. And then it started to feel like some of that energy is even a little shallow, Right. And so it mm -hmm. kind of makes nutrition feel like I, there's a lot of people that aren't interested in nutrition. They're just like, I don't, I, I, that's not my thing. And I think it's because they assume that nutrition is about changing your body and body image and stuff like that, fitness and all of that. So I noticed that um, there was a huge gap, a huge gap in uh, the nutrition space that needed to be filled. And that was thinking more about gut health, thinking more about brain health, the links between the two, and then all of the cognitive processes around food. So I, uh, yeah, I got into nutrition for mental health by focusing on nutrition for substance use disorder. That was how I came into the space. I built a company called Nutrition in Recovery. That's the name of my practice. And it was really designed to bring nutrition education to treatment centers and do one-on-one -on -one work with people that needed that kind of care. And my early, my early sort of tagline was 
bridging the gap between physical and mental health. And basically that's, you know, what I've been trying to do for my career. And so it, it opened up into eating disorders. I got into food addiction and then more recently moving into the space of depression, anxiety, trauma, and ADHD. Oh, I, I love that. And I really liked how you described it. Well, first of all, you were working on your wellness, you got into nutrition. And when you first started in the nutrition world, yeah, there is a lot of focus first on, you know, shaping your body and BMI and that's, you know, that's great and everything, but yes, it can seem a little shallow. And that is what turns off a lot of people to nutrition. It's true because they feel like they're going to be judged and it's great to branch out and really exploring this link between food, mental health, substance use disorder, eating disorders. It's, I think it's a really positive thing for the industry. I do too. Um, so a lot of people do know about the link between the gut and the brain. And I'm not looking for all, you know, obviously we don't have time to talk extensively about it, but just for the people who don't know, do you mind just quickly describing it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of pathways of bi-directional communication, and I'll just touch on a few. There's way more. Um, you know, the more obvious one is, um, you know, the nutrients, right, that are uh, in the gut, you know, uh, entering blood, traveling and crossing the blood-brain barrier, right? That's like a pretty obvious uh, a relation between the two through, you know, portal circulation, right? Um, uh, of course, now we know about gut bacteria and their role in converting uh, certain substances to other substances, you know? So for example, converting um, amino acids into neurotransmitters, converting fibers into short-chain fatty acids, there's a lot that goes on in the gut that makes the environment of the gut super important. And what ends up, you know, happening in the internal ecosystem of the GI tract does travel throughout uh, the body and can potentially cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, other pathways of interest are through the nervous system. Uh, the vagus nerve connects the back of the brainstem to the various organ systems and the enteric nervous system throughout the GI tract. So there's some signaling that's going on there. And then the one that I think is probably the most noteworthy or the most um, uh, fascinating and important, in my opinion, is the immune system, uh, the inflammatory cascades that can start in the uh, you know, gastrointestinal uh, barrier and really travel throughout the body, throughout the periphery and potentially cross the blood-brain barrier and send signals, you know, of, you know, safety, danger. And uh, the immune system to me is like the ultimate communication uh, throughout the different body systems. And, you know, when we think about the food mood connection, I think it's an important one that I think should get a little bit more attention rather than the more reductionistic approach of looking at food as being just nutrients, right? Like, yes, it, it, vitamins and minerals, you know, proteins, uh, carbohydrates, fats, those are all really, really important. But if that's all there was, then we could just take a multivitamin and, and drink a, a boost or whatever, and we'd be good. But it turns out that that's not it. So once we know that macros and micros aren't the full picture, we start to wonder like, okay, so what else is there? And what else are we talking about? And that's when you bring in all the other nutrients and introduce the gut bacteria, the immune system. And then we have this complicated 
network that we call systems biology. Great. Well, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. You know, for the listeners, a lot of people hear about, you know, the gut connection to the brain, but an explanation was great. And, you know, for food and mood, a lot of us have fluctuating energy levels. I know I do during the day and also our moods, they fluctuate, but I'm assuming there probably is a way that you can use food to kind of keep those energy levels pretty smooth and your mood so that it doesn't fluctuate. So how can you use food to help with that? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. The word that we use energy, and I even use the word when I started talking about my own personal story, my energy was different. Um, you know, energy can be looked at as, um, you know, from a c- calorie standpoint, right? The production of ATP, right? Energy. Uh, but there's also um, electrical energy and stuff that goes on in the brain, neurotransmitter based. So, um, you know, when I think about food and mood, I think the obvious go-to is blood sugar. That seems to be like the first place that someone would sort of, you can monitor, right? Is that, um, yeah, of course, erratic blood sugar levels, spikes and dips are going to affect your brain and affect your mood, right? And so Mm -hmm. a pretty obvious solution there would be to eat you know, balanced meals, carbohydrates, protein, fat, spread them out throughout the day, have the carbohydrates be low glycemic, right? Um, Like eating actual, not just whole grains, but intact grains, right? That have a a, a slow release of carbohydrates in a matrix of fiber. So yeah, the, the blood sugar piece is, I think the, you know, I don't want to call it the intro, but that's definitely a good place to start and a good thing that people can monitor. Um, but I think it's also important to look at food and mood through this conversation or through the lens of neurotransmitters and particularly dopamine, um, the neurotransmitter associated with learning and motivation. Um, it is, uh, going to be true for some people, probably for some people more than others that overactivating the dopamine system can make it very difficult to have good mood, right? Because you're, you're stimulating this reward pathway. Okay. And so I think that looking at food more than just as calories and thinking about it as complex information that you send to your, to your gut and to your brain can bring in a lot of these additional variables. So just to clarify, if, if food is highly dopaminergic, it's highly stimulating to, to that, you know, those regions of the brain, the uh, mesolimbic dopaminergic projections, um, and it feels <clears throat> addiction-like, it's going to be really hard to like concentrate, focus, and to feel general peace, right? So I've become very interested in this sort of uh, model of um, reward-based eating and, and to also think about le- eating, you know, less stimulating food, not plain boring food. I'm not talking about plain boring food, just not food that's been engineered by the industry for maximum profit, because that can also really make it difficult to feel calm and your immune system's working because it doesn't know what to do with some of those foods and, you know, blood sugar's uh, erratic. And I guess in summary, I think this is going to be super obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways, what we eat matters. It does. It matters. It's not just calories. No, oh, definitely. Definitely matters. And now if somebody is experiencing brain fog, that's a kind of a similar 
because it ties along with the what you were talking about. So if somebody is experiencing brain fog, how can they use food to help with that and be able to think more clearly? Yeah, I think the 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 generic answer is trying to move toward higher fiber, minimally processed foods, right? Compared mm-hmm. to convenience foods, snack foods, um, it is very possible that a lot of what we're now calling ultra-processed foods can be stimulating immune responses that can affect the brain. But to add more nuance, we also know that everyone's a little bit different and each person could have foods that are being recognized as foreign or reactive by the immune system. So these are the cases when we might need to do some actual lab testing, whether it be you know a food sensitivity test, and I know how controversial those are, the MRT test I've used for a lot of cases of brain fog, headaches, migraines, et cetera. Um, and there could be some other functional lab tests that we could do that could really help figure out if there's some systems out of place and how to augment. That's great. And the lab testing, that's really... A lot of of people want that now, and it's it's really at the forefront. And I think that's really cool and pretty much everything here. So another question about mood. So some people actually need to boost their mood. They might be suffering from depression, actually, or just need a boost in mood. So how can food help with that? Yeah, I always try to remind people that, you know, the impact of nutrition can be very slow, um, but it could also be very fast right? Like we, I've seen people start, you know, changing their ways, you know, maybe stop drinking sweetened beverages and just switch to water within a few days, feel different, you know, start making some changes within a week or two. They're like Mediterranean style eating, right? Changing the type of fats that are consumed, moving from, um, you know, uh, hydrogenated fats, which are less common now, but still out there. They're still mm-hmm. out there in packaged foods, um, moving toward uh, monounsaturated, omega-3 polyunsaturated fats, uh, maybe switching out the salad dressings, making your own, using olive oil. You start doing little things like that. Um, within a few weeks, a lot of times people feel different. Um, but I always want to remind our listeners that sometimes it takes a few months. Like you're really trying to like change body systems and you know, don't give up, right? I, I, I work one-on-one with people and I see it all the time. There are people that make the changes, feel incredibly different in a week. And for other people, it's going to take a while. And it may mean that you're really like up against, it's kind of an uphill battle against the, some of the biology. One of the things that I see a lot is like, yeah, we recommend eating more fiber from beans and whole grains and nuts and seeds and vegetables. But if someone's, you know, stomach isn't ready for that, they're not quite fiber friendly. Like we might have to move much slower. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, nutrition for depression is generally this, you know, anti-inflammatory eating, you know? Um, and like I said before, it's going to look slightly different from person to person. You can kind of rely on the dietary inflammatory index to look at like, what are the top anti-inflammatory foods that are like pretty consistent across the board. I mentioned olives and olive oil, um, you know, certain whole grains like oats or barley and, um, you know, vegetables like cabbage, cruciferous vegetables, uh, bok choy is one of my favorites. And then really colorful fruits, 
you know, eating the entire rainbow. Um, nuts and seeds are also really, really beneficial. And then a lot of times people forget about the herbs and spices, you know, cause they're not calories or macros, but you know, in my house, I've always got the Italian parsley and sometimes the cilantro. And we, I just put that in, in volume in, in food, you know, and it really does uh, have a lot of anti-inflammatory bang for buck. I like that. So it has anti-inflammatory bang for buck to use this herbs and spices. And also I would assume it will help people who you know, are trying to eat more vegetables, but they find them bland. But if you use these herbs and spices, it can really make them tasty, maybe more pal- palatable to people. And I always also trouble. like to remind people that you, sometimes you got to throw some of those spices away because they've been there for too long. Oh, Just okay. get the new one. You know, it's been there for two years and it's only half. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know you, we don't like throwing things away, but get a new one. It's not super expensive. Um, and if you can get the fresh herbs, you know, uh, the, the parsley, cilantros, the dill, it's a tough sell because they go bad in the fridge. You know, you got to really move through it quickly. So it, with Wise Mind Nutrition, I organized recipes by, by herb so that if someone oh, cool. like, were to buy, um, you know, like a big thing of cilantro, you could get recipes that have cilantro and just use cilantro to have a cilantro week and then have a parsley week and then move on to a basil week. Um, that way it doesn't feel like you're uh, having food go to waste. Oh, that's great. That's a really good point. To The fresh herbs are great. And I really liked how you mentioned too, to get rid of some of those old spices. I know in the cabinet, there's some we don't use a lot, like maybe just during the holidays or something. And you just kind of save them. I, right. I, I got to go look through my spice yeah. collection and, and look at that. But I really liked how you mentioned, you know, using the fresh herbs that are in the refrigerator and using your Wise Mind Nutrition app. So that's an app that you launched. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about that? And how can that help people that I guess it sounds like it helps both mental health and physical health. Yeah, I really built it to uh, advance the conversation around nutrition and lifestyle for mental health. So it is designed to help people that have symptoms of depression, anxiety, trauma, ADHD, disordered eating, substance use disorder. And it is designed to be super supportive and gentle and a little different than the nutrition messaging that's out there. So it's not... uh, super quantitative. I built it to be qualitative, which means you're thinking more about food groups, thinking more about hunger scores, fullness scores. And this could be for someone that's done the MyFitnessPal thing for a while. They've done the calorie Mm -hmm. thing and it just feels a little pass fail. It feels a little punitive. It feels a little difficult and they're ready to start eating for mood and brain health. The Wise Mind Nutrition app is there for you. It's for the person that has some mental health issues or some gut health issues and knows that their nutrition could be better, but doesn't want to take a dieting approach and wants to take a more non-dieting approach, uh, Wise Mind Nutrition is there. It's for the person that wants to log their food and learn more about their patterns. Um, One of the coolest parts about the app is that, you know, once you come in, you set some intentions, and these are intentions that each individual sets for themselves. There's some prompts, there's some suggestions, but say you want to come in and work on your protein intake or your water intake, or make sure you take your supplements or eat the full uh, color spectrum, eat the rainbow every day. Someone can set those intentions, start logging their food qualitatively. And then at the end of each day, there is a, um, a nightly review where you can look back at your day, look at your intentions. And, um, the food log is just one part of the app. 
the main feature is the program, which you know has personalized messaging based on mental health score. So if someone screens positive for depression, for example, they'll get some specific messages. And it is designed to improve those symptoms over time. So there's 43 modules. The first uh, nine are free. The food log is free. You can connect to one other person, whether it be a provider, friend, family, coach, uh, for free. A lot of free features. So I, I recommend checking it out, logging a meal, watching some videos, seeing if you like it. Um, we don't ask for any credit cards or upfront or anything like that. It's just like use the free app. Share your progress with someone. If you love it, you know, dive deep into the program. The program is when it really starts. Um, so there's videos, there's assignments, there's handouts, recipes, uh, meditations, cooking instructions. It's basically the equivalent of working with me over six months, you know, delivered through an app for less than the cost of meeting with me for 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So there's a, sounds like there's a lot you can get for free. And then if you want some more in-depth, then there's like a paid version. That's right. And I built it for providers and practitioners to be able to use with their clients. So there's a, a feature there where, you know, for a few dollars a month, you can follow a bunch of people, um, um, to follow up to 10 people. And that's only $9.99 a month. And that, that allows for someone to pr provide support, you know, look at someone's journals and their food logs and give them little positive messages, that sort of thing. Well, that's great. And so I'm assuming people can just download it on the App Store. Which it's in it's in the is. Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. So it's available great. everywhere. I have a download page at wisemindnutrition.com where there's a like intro video, if that's helpful to anyone. Um, but it's really exciting. I spent two years working on it. And now it's like, oh, wow. it's, at, it's to market and it's changing lives. I've had a, a lot of people finish the modules get to module 42 and just raving about uh, the program. And uh, I really can't wait to get some more people that have mental health challenges that want to think about nutrition in a new way and possibly even become a coach. You know, it's built so that once you finish the program, if there's someone you want to help through the program, uh, you can support them and follow them and coach them through now that you know you know, how the program works. So it's available for people that are out there that are looking for opportunities to step into the space because, you know, I'm doing a lot of the uh, educating and the coach's role would just be to do some of the handholding and some of the supporting. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely networking with people right now that want to build this into their practice. Oh, that's great. That'll be really useful for so many people. Mm. I'm going to check it out myself. I think that's Please. really neat. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned something when you were talking about cr the creation of your app, and that's for people that are used to MyFitnessPal or some of these other apps that are a little more punitive. They, yeah. They're kind of obsessively tracking what they're eating. So how do restrictive diets and excessively counting macros and excessive exercise, how does that, obviously we know that affects mental health, but I'm assuming it can also affect you know physical health too. It's probably really hard to stick to a plan when it's so restrictive. Yeah, I've been very interested in the conversation around cognitive rigidity. I, I actually just published a blog this week about, uh, I think it's called How I Overcame M My Cognitive Rigidity and the Toxicity in the Nutrition Professional or something along those lines. The, how I Overcame the Rigidity of My Mind. That's what it is. Uh, because I have a history of being rigid too, right? I shared with you that I sort of came in through the trainer uh, world and I, I do believe that, you know, having that structure 
which is, you know, not the same exact thing as rigidity, but they're close. Um, it does appeal to a lot of people and it also can improve mental health, right? So it's like this fine line of like, if someone is under ordered and they just don't have a lot of structure in their life, being able to step into something that adds a level of structure and say like, okay, here are some walls, here are some guardrails, here are some things that you're going to do. Once you commit to them, you actually do them. I think that structure and some level of rigidity can be extremely helpful. Uh, as evidenced by my fitness pal being one of the most downloaded apps of all time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't even know if there is an app bigger than that, right? So it's when true. we really think about rigidity and also like, for example, in my own story, you know, I stopped drinking alcohol 17 years ago. So I have a, a recovery story, right? And it was like, I don't think that I would have gotten sober if I wasn't rigid about it. If I was just like, oh, no big deal. And, you know, like, just go here. I was like pretty committed and so in many ways, rigidity saved my life. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people that have health challenges, being super vague and just super non-diet and just trying to be intuitive doesn't feel that supportive, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and then the flip side of that coin is that while we have a lot of people that are under-ordered, we have a lot of people that are over-ordered that are trying too hard to put too much emphasis on perfection and are super rigid about their ways. Maybe they started off benefiting from the rigidity. This is what I see a lot. This is what I, I work with a lot of people that had health challenges, started making some moves, got really into calorie counting, uh, started working out. And then right, they reached a point where that was no longer helpful. It started to become harmful, but they couldn't let it go. Mm -hmm. Couldn't let it go, right? And this is, you know, cl the classic conception of quote unquote disordered eating, which is, you know, yes. a big part of the work that I do. Um, but you also have people that are overordered because of OCD and other perfectionistic tendencies. Perhaps there's a trauma history that that tends to create black and white thinking. You're either doing mm -hmm. it or you're not, that sort of thing. Addiction histories, right? So, you know, a big part of my work. Um, in counseling and really through the app as well, is to recognize that people have differing levels of cognitive rigidity and cognitive fluidity. And that being able to actually assess that and see, you know, what kind of message would be helpful to someone um, is, I think, going to be a major predictor of long term success. And just to be clear, if someone is super rigid, that means that we probably need something that's a little less rigid. And if someone is like super vague, super under order, they just thought like anything goes, they probably need a little bit more structure, right? So what's interesting, and this is definitely worth saying, is that, you know, a uh, structured approach to health that is life-changing for one person could be a haven of disorder for the next person, right? And I think that's the piece that doesn't get enough attention, this conversation around nutritional psychology and how each, each person's brain, each person's mind differs, and we are all in different contexts. And that, that part of um, behavior change, I think, is super, super important. It really is. And I liked how you talked about that. Some people are super vague and they need the rigidity. They need the order. And then sometimes... Sometimes that can go too far or somebody who is, like you said, perhaps either a little OCD or actually has been diagnosed or is just, you know, too rigid, just regard, regardless of being, having OCD, um, that can be harmful. 
And also, I like that there's, you know, a kind of a gray area. You hear a lot online, for example, about, you know, either intuitive eating or on the other hand, you have to be super rigid. But it can be, there's gray areas in life when you're in practice. My whole career is dedicated to the gray area. That's good. (laughs) I am Mr. Nuance, right? Like, and I'm, I've really decided that I want to be the peacemaker between these different philosophies and these different points of view. And it's, it's been difficult because Mm -hmm. each camp looks at me like I'm not really in their camp. I'm sort of in this intersectional gray area space. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really about what you guys are about. I like some things. I think you guys should also think about what they're doing over here and think Mm -hmm. about it, not even in the, for the sake of figuring out our, our patients, whether they fall under this bucket or this bucket, but more thinking about it is that each person is this complex combination of all these different traits and that mm-hmm. we need to use intersectional ways of thinking. I agree. I agree. I feel that a little bit too. I, I look at one camp and then I see another camp and it, it's, it is interesting, especially online because I think things are very polarized. So people will say, well, you're not really with us, but then you're not really with the other side either. So um, and you know, the nuance in the gray area, that's really where it's at. So that's how the algorithm good to hear that. works too. Yeah. The algorithm yes, works it does. creating niches and supporting, you know, groupthink, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you want to like do really well online, you know, you gotta, you know, pick and pick a niche and then really just focus on that audience and do more yes. of that stuff. And then you end up sort of pigeonholed, right? Into yes. that niche. And, you know, it's reinforcing because then you're like, oh, people are watching my videos. People like my videos. And then everyone mm-hmm. into the same stuff is watching all the same stuff. And you end up in these little silos and camps that we mm-hmm. call. And it's yes. toxic. It's toxic in nutrition. It is. Yeah. It is. I actually think it is. It is. It's because very- we're all just trying to help ourselves and help people That's get right. healthier. And just working together would be better. But right. let's hope it'll change a little. <laughs> I think some people are getting tired of it. I know oh I am. Oh my God, people are getting tired of it. I speak, I'm speaking up and I get a lot of messages of people that are like, thank you, thank you, thank you. You said, you wrote what I've been thinking for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I yeah, really please link that blog in the show notes. Oh, yeah. So it's on your website. On medium.com. Yeah. Oh, medium.com. So, so you're there. So yeah. So. I'll share it with you. That's the blog. I just wrote it. It's really exciting because I'm still getting emails from it. Oh, that's great. So it's medium.com and then is it slash David Wiss? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. For it too. And put it in the show notes. That's great. I'd like to read it myself. Right on. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's been a really enlightening conversation and thanks for all the work you do. It's really yeah. help- helping a lot of people. You're so welcome. I'm so honored to do this work and I appreciate the chance to chat about it and to connect with you a little bit today. Well, thank you so much. And before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I really want to recommend that you lean into the Wise Mind Nutrition app. Um, Certainly can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Wise Mind Nutrition. Um, Check us out, leave a comment, send a message, let us know, let me know how I can be helpful. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. And I assume people, that's where people can connect with you is the Wise Mind Nutrition app. So it looks like they can just connect with you through there and your social media. Yeah, I have a social media, Dr. David Wiss, uh, personal Instagram, and my clinical practice is nutritionandrecovery.com. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much again, David, for joining me on the podcast and have a wonderful day. 
Susan, you remember the time we were in Orange County? We were driving around and we got lost. And we ran into this place called Avila's El Ranchito. You remember the place? The place had awesome decor and authentic margaritas. Did you know that Avila's El Ranchito has been around since 1966? They have 13 locations throughout Orange County. Visit Salvador Avila's location in Lake Forest and Foothill Ranch for great food, ambiance, and specialty margaritas. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein.